welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, often avoided, or even ignored. Prostate cancer is now the most commonly diagnosed cancer among men in the UK. With this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is Ian Paul, a recent patient at the Focal Therapy Clinic, who came to the clinic seeking a second opinion following what turned out to be an incorrect diagnosis. Ian is 58, a divorced father of two with a partner of five years. He works as a project manager in the energy sector, and he's played guitar in a band for over 18 years as well. Ian, welcome, and thank you so much for joining on Focus today. Hi, Claire. No, it's a pleasure to be talking to you today. Wonderful. Um, okay, well, let's jump right in because you've got quite a story that um, I know many of our listeners will, will very much appreciate and, and value um, hearing about. And, and let's just start with, you know, one of the things that really struck me when, when we first met, which was, you know, your experience began in what I might call almost an ideal setting. You know, I mean, you were privately insured, you were routinely undertaking PSA tests through regular checkups. So can you describe what happened when your PSA became elevated? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, so basically, you know, I spent three years um, just going through regular tests. And this was all due to, you know, as, as you said, through my sort of work-based insurers health checks. And you know, my PSA was around about three and a half to four. Um, and it was relatively stable, but it was probably what could be considered to be slightly raised. But then, you know, the, the, the people I was talking to at the time, the consultant I was speaking to said, you know, it's, it's pretty normal for someone of my age to have a, a raised PSA. And it wasn't until, um, I suppose, about uh, February, March time last year, um, I had the, the regular six monthly test and it was fine. It was at four. And then six months later, it suddenly jumped to seven. Uh, now, I'm a keen cyclist, you know, I'd heard about, you know, cycling on road bikes and stuff like that, especially when you've got a hard saddle, can aggravate the, the prostate mm-hmm. um, and it can increase the PSA within the blood. So I booked another test for about two weeks later and it went up to seven and a half. So this really was ringing alarm bells in my mind anyway. I made an appointment to go and see the, the urologist who I'd seen and I've been seeing, you know, I suppose I've, I've seen him a couple of times over that three year period. I went to see him and uh, he suggested that because it's such a, a sharp rise over such a short period of time that I have a, a, an MP MRI scan, which uh, was the next course of action, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I had that in December. Um, and then in January, when I got the results, um, I was told that there was an abnormality showing up on the scan. And as a result of that, he said, look, I think you, you know, we need to do the biopsy. We need to find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I had that biopsy in, in early January, basically. Okay. And were you briefed on the, the biopsy method that you underwent? I was told that it was going to be um, relatively straightforward. It would be under a, a local anesthetic. I was told not to concern myself about it because it was going to be nothing more like than going to the dentist, you know, just you know, having an, inject- an injection at the dentist. Although I have to say that nothing could be further from the truth, to be honest with you. Um, How so? Local anaesthetic injections in that particular area of body is, is, is really, really unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And then the actual needles going in to actually take the samples. I mean, even with the anaesthetic, it was excruciatingly painful. Mm. And I'm, I'm surprised, actually, that um, you know, biopsies are actually done in that way, in that, that particular method. The consultant took 10 samples altogether, but it took 25 minutes. And the one thing that I was sort of very conscious of was the fact that, you know, I'm not sitting quietly and still because it was so painful I was mm. I, I knew I was shifting you know mm-hmm. my position and I'm thinking to myself at the time that this could this you know there can't be an awful lot of accuracy if I'm shifting around you know because of the squirming in, in my seat basically because it was so painful oh, yeah so, um, 
but yeah, I wasn't expecting it. I certainly wasn't warned for that level of pain. That, that does sound very unpleasant. And what, what happened next? When did you get the results of the biopsy and, and, and then what happened? Yeah, well, I suppose I waited for about um, a week and a half to get the results and the consultant told me that of the 10 samples that he took, one of them contained 5% cancer cells. And so in effect, what he told me is it was low grade cancer, nothing really to worry about. You know, all we need to do really is, is, is go through some active surveillance. And, you know, and I said, okay, well, what's active surveillance? And he said, well, look, you know, we'll just go through regular six monthly PSA tests and we'll just monitor it that way. And I said, okay, so what are the other options? You know, I mean, he said, well, the other options, you know, potentially he said he could have a prostatectomy, which basically, you know, would be the removal of the prostate. You know, that way, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a guarantee that, you know, you're not going to get uh, prostate cancer again. And it's going to be something that would, you know, remove the, the situation. Now, I said to him, I've, I've obviously done my own research. And that, to me, isn't an option because, you know, I'm, I'm only 58 years old. I'm still sexually active and want to remain so, you know, I, I think that's, you know, all the things that I'd heard mm-hmm. about having the prostate removed you know, would suggest erectile dysfunction and incontinence. And I said, I'm not prepared to go through that. So, you know, I said to him, so what, what, what other options are there? You know, and he said, well, you know, there's brachytherapy, but, you know, and then there's hormone treatment, but that's not, I don't recommend that. Um, and he said, I think, you know, given the grade of cancer, I said, he, he's, you know, I think you should, you, know, you should be looking at the active surveillance route. So I said, okay, let me, let me have a think about that because I'm not 100% convinced. Mm-hmm. Um, I left his office and I was driving home and the more I thought about it, the more kind of not angry, but the more concerned I felt because I was, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, this is a sentence hanging over my head over the next you know, few months, next couple of years or whatever. My PSA could raise, you know, or double in the space of six months, which it had done. Who's to say that within the next six months after my PSA test, you know, in, during active surveillance that, you know, that cancer wouldn't spread outside of the prostate and, and uh, impact other parts of the body. Then I'd be dealing with the situation where I probably had to have the prostate removed and I'd be dealing with secondary um, cancer. This is not an option, I said. In, you know, in my mind, I said, this is not an option. So the first thing I did when I got home was go on the internet. And I think within five minutes, um, I found the focal therapy clinic. And just reading through you know, every single page, every single interview, every single bit of information was there. It made me suddenly realize that, you know, that there's so many more options out there and not every treatment and not every solution is suitable for everybody. Mm. Yeah. So, let me, let me just ask really quickly, just before we go on to the, the, the second opinion that you eventually sought. I mean, why do you think um, after surveillance was recommended to you? And, and did you also feel when you said that you didn't think it was appropriate for you was the COVID situation a concern to you, given that you'd have to be continuously monitored? Um, well, yeah, I mean, even though I'm, I suppose I'm one of the lucky ones, I mean, I didn't have to wait long for uh, an MRI scan. I didn't have to wait long for, you know, various appointments. I still had to wait a few weeks. And I think that that waiting, it, it played on my mind and it did have an impact on me. Okay, um, yeah. So so then you've, you you decided to, to seek a, a second opinion. So tell us about that. And, and it seemed to have involved some very different approaches to both the diagnostics and the treatment options. Um, can you tell us exactly what happened then? Having found the, the focal therapy clinic online, um, the first thing I did was, was basically go on and complete their online um, questionnaire, um, which basically asked for a whole bunch of details about me, um, the diagnosis I'd received and any details associated with that diagnosis. 
you know, plus sort of providing some notes as to, you know, why I was you know, contacting them specifically. Um, and then literally on the following day, I received a, a response from Suki Kalpa, who's one of the patient advocates. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found was that, you know, she was incredibly good at just explaining things to me and having someone tell me about the different options that could be available to me. It was really eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a real breath of fresh air. So, you know, one of the things I'm, I, I talked to her about was the fact that having read pretty much, you know, everything I could about um, the, the high-intensity focal ultrasound therapy, that would be an ideal treatment for me if, if I was a suitable candidate because, you know, it, it could potentially be what I would call the silver bullet, the thing that would actually, you know, get rid of cancer without any long-term treatment plan after that. Mm-hmm. Um, she basically put me in touch with um, one of the consultants' um, secretaries, and I, I'm having looked at all the, the locations where the various consultants were, locate, uh, were located, um, mm-hmm. decided on Mark Laniada mm-hmm. because he was, he was very much local to where I live and he, he practiced um, you know, within about 10 miles of where I, I live. So he was the, you know, the ideal candidate really for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so she passed me on to uh, Mark's secretary and uh, I, I got an appointment within a few days. Okay, and then you know, what happened with actually your diagnostic results um, even before we get to you know, assessing your suitability for, for focal therapy? Uh, Mark Laniardo in, in the first meeting said that his sort of view on the MRI scan and also on the, um, the pathology uh, results uh, weren't clear. He couldn't because the that the actual MRI scan was was not 100% sharp, mm-hmm. and he said it's it's going to be difficult for him to provide a very precise diagnosis mm-hmm. um, because of that. And so he said, look, you know, the, the one thing that we really need to do is make sure that we get the diagnosis 100% accurate, and the only way we can do that is by performing uh, a second biopsy. And of course, this worried me. You know, it worried me because of what I went through for the first time. And I told him my concerns about, you know, having that done under local anaesthetic. And he was surprised when I said it was done, you know, I was thinking it was going to be done under local anaesthetic. He said, no, no. He said, I'll I'll be doing this under general anaesthetic. Mm -hmm. And I think just judging by his reaction, I think he was surprised that I thought it was going to be done under a local anaesthetic, which then got me thinking about, well, should I have had the original one done under local? Yeah. Uh, But, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've got no experience of that and I haven't read any information about. um, Yeah, yeah. um, well, so, um, so you basically had to have a, a, a new biopsy, and it was done um, within a different approach. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I went into um, into the hospital for a, as, as a day case, and uh, underwent a general anaesthetic and had the second biopsy. Um, and during that time, I had forty samples taken. Yeah, that's uh, incredible. I mean, just just to repeat that. So initially, you had ten, and this time yeah. you had forty. Yeah. Yeah, well, 10 was of the whole prostate, taken around the whole prostate. Yeah, indeed. But 40 were taken very specifically around that, that particular area where the tumour was. So, yeah, so a very, very in-depth biopsy. And, of course, when I got the results of that, um, um, Salaniado was basically said, you know, it's actually it's probably worse than perhaps you thought it was going to be, and certainly worse than your original consultant had said, in that the Gleason score came back as a 3 plus 4, as opposed mm-hmm. to 3. But what he did tell me was that the tumour was very much um, sort of centred in, in one specific location and it wasn't something that was spread around the prostate. So, you know, in his opinion, I would be a suitable candidate for the high food therapy. But, you know, he had to basically take that through to the um, to the multidisciplinary committee that he chaired um, where cases like mine get discussed and they go through all of the 
results and they go through the pathology and the MRI scans, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically come up with a kind of, if you like, a almost like a committee decision based on, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Based on the evidence that's being presented. And fortunately for me, um, it, it, it meant that I was going to be you know, a suitable candidate for this, this therapy. The NMDT um, is is a very powerful approach because you, I'm sure, you gave you a lot of confidence to know that the you know the treatment was actually something that was going to be appropriate and was thought to be something that would be curative. Having had that conversation and knowing that there are other people that were actually assessing my my case, indeed, yeah, was exactly the kind of confidence that I needed to know that I was in the right hands. I think. So there are so many things that come out of that. I mean, you know, clearly, in initially, you you hadn't even really been briefed about the, the different elements of the, the, the diagnosis, but whether it was the PSA test, which you clearly knew about, but then the imaging, the role of the quality of the imaging, the type of biopsy, the quality of the biopsy, the pathology. Um, I mean, you clearly learned a lot in this whole process. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. So, so given that, and, and the fact that, you know, you had a good outcome, because just to conclude your story, you then did undergo high food treatment with Mark, and that was when, Ian? Um, that was in um, early March. Right. And and things have gone well since? I had a, a further MRI scan a week after, and the results came back as as, uh, as positive in that um, uh, there was no evidence of any any further cancer cells. And uh, basically, it was it was a good MRI. And you're feeling well, generally? It took me about two or three weeks to um, get to a position where I actually felt um, comfortable again. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and it does take a while before, you know, some of the side effects start to wear away mm-hmm. um, and, and disappear. But right now, you know, I'm in middle of May and I'm, I'm feeling absolutely brilliant. I mean, that's that's really good news. And, you know, I, I know you're delighted with that. But I think equally, um, we spoke about the fact that it made you wonder about what happened before you sought the second opinion. And I want to talk a little bit about the outcome of your attempts to, to challenge the original uh, consultant urologist who initially diagnosed you. Um, and yeah, you know, just ask you what, what you can draw from this that might help other men in a similar situation. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've, I found was that, you know, we, we all tend to you know, look at consultants as the, the font of all knowledge. You know, they're the people that we go to because they know, you know what's good for us and what's right for us. At least that's the impression that we will always have because mm-hmm. of, you know, they hold you know, within the medical profession. But um, when I when I was presented with my first diagnosis um, with, with the original consultant and the fact that he said, "Yeah, active surveillance is the thing," you know, that we, you know, I'm recommending. You know, I, I I went back to him and I did email him and say, "Look, I'm not convinced about this because in your letter that you've sent to my doctor, you said that you've taken me through all of the suitable um, treatments." Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, you know, I'm recommending active surveillance. And I said, but the point is you didn't take me through all of the options uh, because there are so many out there. And um, the more research that I did, the more I realized that there were lots of different options. You know, some might be suitable, some might not be, but to, to have that information presented to me would have at least, you know, made me feel like I was, you know, kind of getting the right level of sort of data so that I can make a decision about what's right for me. Indeed. And um, informed, we call that informed consent. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and as a result of, of that, I mean, I, I said, look, I'm keen to find out more about this thing called hyphotherapy um, because, you know, to me, that sounds like a really good um, treatment. You know, I know it's under trial um, within the NHS and I know that it's available through private um, medicine as well. Uh, because my insurance company have said that they would support it financially. Mm-hmm. So the, 
they would support it. And the fact that it's under trial has been for about eight to 10 years says to me that it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a good option. It's a viable option. And now the consultant who I spoke to came back to me and said, I wouldn't recommend um, high free therapy to my relatives, let alone to you. And I said, well, why not? And he said, because there isn't enough data to support it. And I said, well, how on earth are these um, treatments ever going to make it into mainstream unless there's data to support it? And that requires people to be part of trials and people. Exactly. You have to make those kind of informed decisions. If I'd been in a situation where I was being told you could have this thing called high food therapy, but it's only available on the NHS and it's only available as a trial, I would have looked at the numbers. I would have looked at the success rate and I would have still made the same decision to say it's got to be better than sitting around doing nothing and waiting for something worse to happen. Mm-hmm. I would have been one of those people on that trial saying, yes, I want this. We're being presented by information by some um, consultants that doesn't always provide the full picture to me is, 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 is not right. And um, I think that the, 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 the consultant in question is very much stuck in his ways and perhaps is not prepared to embrace new technology and new um, treatments or even to recommend new treatments because he's not necessarily up with what's going on. I think the important thing for me was that I made the decision to, to go for that second opinion because the moment I did was when I was in control of it. Yeah, and, and that's what you would recommend to, to other men, to question everything. Yeah. Question everything. And, and if you're not happy with what you're hearing, say, look, I, I, you know, I, I appreciate your opinion, but I'd, I'd like to get a second opinion. Yeah, I'd like to know if there's more out there, but also I'd recommend to anybody in my situation to just have a look on the internet because you've only got to do, you know, a single search and you'll find so many different, you know, organizations and you know, the Fogel Clinic is the one that comes up, you know, number one, mm. you know, on, on a search. And there are other organizations out there as well. So you can get the advice. I mean, you were lucky because you were um, also privately insured and, you know, you obviously had the initiative and the, uh, knowledge to do this. But I think, you know, the more we hear stories like yours, that even the best care can have flaws. And it's important for you to self-advocate and question everything. Well, look, I mean, let me give you an example, Claire. I mean, yesterday I got a call from a colleague of mine. And his neighbour has just told him two days ago, that he's got, uh, he's had a diagnosis of prostate cancer. And he wants to know who I went to see, um, what the name of the, the clinic was, what the treatment was. And so I, I basically sent this guy links to um, the, the, the focal therapy clinic um, to a number of different other websites that talk about the different options that you could have available to you. Mm-hmm. So just being able to share that experience is brilliant. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's incredibly generous of you to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm delighted that you've had such a good outcome um, and that you've been so generous in sharing your time and, and your personal experience with us. So, so thank you very much for coming today. And um, we look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you very much. Pleasure. For further information on standards of diagnostic procedures and how these underpin optimal treatments is available on our website, along with a transcript of this interview and additional interviews and stories about men living with prostate cancer. Please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time. <laughs>